This sermon was recorded at Christ Church Mission, a congregation that seeks to be a people fully alive in God's kingdom. From the Gospel of Mark. When Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. He pleaded earnestly with him, My little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. A large crowd followed and pressed around him, and a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had. Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately, her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. At once, Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, Who touched my clothes? You see the people crowding against you, his disciples answered, and yet you ask, Who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet, trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. He said to her, Daughter, Your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. While Jesus was still speaking, some people came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? Overhearing what they said, Jesus told him, Don't be afraid, just believe. He did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. When they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead, but asleep. But they laughed at him. After he put them all out, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him and went in where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha kum, which means little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately, the girl stood up and began to walk around. She was 12 years old. At this, they were completely astonished. He gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this and told them to give her something to eat. The word of the Lord. All right. Good morning again. We have... I mean, an excellent passage of scripture this morning. We're in the book of Mark. And Mark, the author in the Bible, does this. uh, He has like an interesting writing tool that he uses, a technique that he uses several times in his book. uh, It's that he doesn't always tell stories linearly, like just dealing with all the details of one story and then going on to the next story and then going on to the next story. Sometimes what Mark does several times in his gospel, what he chooses to do is kind of mash the stories together and push them into one another and by doing so add some like new dynamics to the stories and so not only do they hold a lot of insight and power for the each story in and of itself 
But then those stories kind of spark off of each other too, uh, creating uh, enhanced meaning even. Here specifically, what he does is he tells us the first part of a story, and then he tells us a second story, and then tells us the end of the first story. The technical term for that is uh, of kind of planting one story inside of another is interpolation. Uh, the German biblical scholars have a word for this. It's Eendederschlachten. Lloyd, how did I do? B, B plus? Keep going. Keep going. Okay, yeah. Just, all right. Message received. Uh, okay. <laughs> so their fancy word for it is Eendederschlachten. But do you want to know what the American biblical scholars call it when Mark does this thing where he puts one story inside of another? They call it a Markin sandwich, which is just the most disappointing thing, I think. You know, that sounds like someone from Kansas came up with that term. You know, like, oh, well, what should we call it when one story is inside of the other story? Oh, sounds like a sandwich. It's just, I wish it was the end of your Schlachten, honestly, but okay. Uh, anyway, the bread, if you will, of the sandwich, the first story is about a man named Jairus who comes to Jesus for healing for his daughter. Jesus with Jairus heads in the direction of Jairus' house, and then the meat of the sandwich is that Jesus stops and ministers to a bleeding woman, and then the story finishes by uh, telling the details of what happened with Jairus' daughter. Uh, so there are many contrasting differences between these two stories that Mark chooses to mash together. One of the people asking for healing is a woman of low estate. The other is a man of high religious status. One is asking in a public spectacle, throwing themselves on Jesus' uh, feet in front of a large crowd. The other is a secret, private touch of Jesus' cloak. One is asking for Jesus to come and extend his hand, and the other one is the person themselves extending their own hand and courage. Uh, one carries a 12-year disease. The other has an emergency illness. Lots of differences between these two stories, uh, but there are two things, at least two things, I think, that are common between them, and that's fear and faith. Fear and faith. And fear and faith are two things that are, are present in almost every situation of ours for which we desire healing or change. We want and we, well, we have, both things are present, fear and faith. And sometimes fear and faith surge together. They're partners, and sometimes they oscillate one, then the other. Uh, so we're going to talk about fear and faith in these two stories. and then uh, So fear and then faith. And then the last point, I want to end by talking a little bit about God's timing. Okay, God's timing. Let's start with fear. And uh, we have to kind of fix our eyes on the sobering uh, situations that are terrifying realities for these people in this story. First, the woman. Passage says that the woman who was there in the crowd that day had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. That in and of itself would be a tragic situation, a chronic ailment that she carried that would meant certainly regular pain. Additionally, sadly, bleeding was also a social stigma in that day, and so she bore a kind of public disgrace heaped on top of her physical pain. 
She was physically sick and ceremonially and socially unclean. She was in a bad place. Not only that, but her, condi- her condition was not improving. It was declining. She had, the passage said, suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors. I don't know linguistically exactly if, um, if it means what it sounds like it means, but you can imagine that she did suffer, under, even under the care of well-meaning doctors. Like medicine in the first century would have been difficult, a difficult process for her. And yet, the passage says her condition didn't improve, it got worse. Hers was a slow decline. She was understandably fearful. Things were going tragically and steadily in one direction, and she knew where this was headed for her. And it was in that fear that she reached out her hand in desperation and secretly touched the edge of Jesus' cloak. Immediately, the passage says she was healed, and she, like, sensed it. She knew right away that she was well. And so you would think that maybe her fear would instantly subside as well, but it didn't. The passage goes on to, continues to describe her as afraid, that even when Jesus called her forth, that she was still terrified. Terrified, though, now, even though physically well, that she might face the retaliation for her courage, or maybe the scorn of the healer, this woman was afraid. Jairus, too, was afraid. Ben, am I doing all right on, am I coming through? Okay, cool, all right. Jairus, too, was afraid. Now, Jairus was a synagogue leader, okay? And synagogue leaders, we often, almost every story in in the New Testament describes these religious leaders in ways that are extremely toxic, you know? These religious leaders are almost always trying to undermine and dismantle Jesus's ministry, and they're threatened and defensive. But here we have a religious leader, a Jewish religious leader, coming to Jesus in need, not in hostility. It's kind of a refreshing dynamic. But that, I think, is partially the source of some of Jairus's fears. So picture this. Jairus is a, the president of a synagogue in Capernaum. He's essentially like one of the lead guys at this small synagogue in a small town. And who happens to attend his particular synagogue but Jesus of Nazareth? Now, I've had some hard parishioners in my day, but I cannot imagine having Jesus of Nazareth as a, uh, one of my people. Jesus had already begun creating controversy in the religious, uh, Jewish religious circles. And Jairus was essentially his local pastor. So it was in Jairus's favor to keep Jesus's profile low and to keep his own head down and to keep things calm and to sit on the fence really well. But that's not what happened. Why? Because tragedy struck Jairus' life. Because fear filled Jairus. Jairus' 12-year-old daughter had fallen terminally ill. And at that point, throwing caution to the wind, in desperation, the synagogue leader came and fell down at Jesus' feet in front of a crowd and begged him to come heal his daughter. Facing the prospect of potentially losing a child is 
unthinkable and I've not experienced it firsthand, but I can tell you I've walked with many families through it. I've probably done more funerals for 18 to 28 year olds than I have any other age demographic. And to say that those families are afraid during that season is an understatement. Jesus acknowledges Jairus's fear explicitly on his way to Jairus's house. The translation, I think it puts, a, it puts it a bit too curtly. It says something like, don't be afraid, just believe. But it's not a rebuke, though, I don't think. I think Jesus intended it more as an invitation. Uh, it's better translated as, Jairus, do not keep fearing the worst, but keep on believing for the best. Jesus trying to ex- exhort Jairus to hold on to hope in the midst of his fear. Uh, Okay, let's talk about faith. Faith is a powerful dynamic in both of these stories, but here's what we're not going to do this morning, talking about faith. We're not going to treat faith in these stories uh, like we're scientists looking for cause and effect, okay? We're not going to treat faith in this story um, like we're looking for the right equation of faith to figure out how it can yield the healing that we want. Christians sometimes do that with faith and healing, and they paint it in very black and white terms that I think is unhelpful, and it's not, it's, it's a mistreatment of Scripture, in my opinion. When we try to link faith and healing in that black and white way, uh, it's, it's unhelpful, I think. Firstly, there are stories in Scripture where people are healed, where faith is either uh, at least not mentioned, uh, if not seemingly absent or weak, Secondly, it fails to acknowledge what's omitted in the Bible. The countless followers of Jesus who had faith but didn't experience the the healing that they desired. Jesus healed many people, but he did not heal, as best as we can tell, all people. Scripture only talks about three people that he raised from the dead. Uh, Jairus' daughter, Lazarus, and the widow's son from Nain. That's three. Well, and by the way, the widow's son from Nain makes no mention of faith whatsoever. It seems that she was a complete stranger to Jesus when he raised her son. Uh, But there were obviously many more people that died in Jesus' proximity, many of which that even had faith in him, but he did not raise them all. Anyway, that's not how we're going to look at faith in this passage. We're not going to treat it as a cause and effect. What we're going to do instead is uh, reflect on some of the characteristics of faith that are expressed in this passage and how Jesus commends the people for their faith. Let's start with Jairus this time. I think a hallmark of Jairus's faith here in this text is humility. For a religious leader to publicly throw himself before Jesus required great humility. In that single act, Jairus was acknowledging personally and publicly, his complete powerlessness to deliver himself from the situation that he found himself in. And he expressed his hope that Jesus could make him well. Please come and place your hands on her that she might be saved, Jairus says. And I don't know if we typically think about humility as being a key aspect of faith, but I think that it is. Our faith might not mean Jairus' kind of humility where you like are publicly, you know, embarrassing yourself in front of others, but faith for God to make us well, physically or otherwise, necessitates that we acknowledge humbly 
our inability to help ourselves. Humility is a key component of faith. And I admire Jairus' faith here, his humble faith. The faith of the woman, though, is different than Jairus's. The main characteristic of the woman's faith is not the lowering of herself, but you could say the raising of herself. The idea that the woman needed humility would be laughable. She was already, it was obvious to everyone, including herself, that she was completely incapable of helping herself. Her faith was a movement upward towards dignity and proclamation. The woman's story is recorded, by the way, in three of the Gospels. And in, I think, the Luke account, he uses a very interesting phrase uh, describing her. It says that after she touched Jesus' cloak, and then when Jesus stops and calls her forth, uh, it says, seeing that she was no longer hidden, the woman came forward. Seeing that she was no longer hidden. I love that phrase. Because I think it characterizes not only her physical proximity in the crowd, that people didn't know who she was, but it describes, I think, her social dynamic in culture, that she was hidden. She was lumped in with an unseen lot of cast-offs. Hidden describes her whole life. Her body and its ailments had pushed her so far down that she is secretly grasping at the healer's clothes. But she is called forward out of her hiddenness, and she comes. And the text says that that day she found her voice, that when Jesus called her forward, that she told him and to everyone else that was listening the whole truth about herself. Her faith was humble, yes, but it was expressed in boldness and in humanity and dignity. Those were the hallmarks of her faith. Okay. Uh, Lastly, I want to talk about God's timing. Because God's timing, I think, as best as I can tell, is exactly why Mark pushed these two stories together. These particular healing stories together. Jesus is on his way to heal Jairus' daughter. Um, Picture it as like Jesus and his disciples are in an ambulance, essentially. (laughs) And the sirens are on, and the lights are spinning, and they are on their way in haste to go to the house of this synagogue leader. And you can bet you that Jesus' disciples were probably looking at each other like, oh man, this is happening. If Jesus heals the daughter of a synagogue leader, then we are on the map. So they are headed in that direction, Jesus, his disciples, and Jairus, when Jesus screeches the journey to a halt. Stop, he says. And he gets out, so to speak, and he goes and talks to this woman. And he's talking to her, and he's engaging her in conversation, and he's listening to her, and he's encouraging her to tell her truth, you know. Meanwhile, the disciples, I'm sure, were dying inside. Like, what is he doing? We are losing time. And Jairus, especially, must have been beside himself. How can he be doing this? We are losing time. We have to move. Well, by the time Jesus finally finishes with the woman, a messenger comes and says, Jairus, you know, you don't need to bother the teacher anymore. Your daughter is gone. Jairus must have collapsed. Jesus was too late. Jesus could have done this right. 
He could have rushed off to Jairus' house and healed his daughter and then come back for the bleeding woman. The bleeding woman was in no particularly imminent danger. He would have had time. His timing was wrong, we would say. But Jesus isn't bound to our timetable. The messenger says it's too late, but Jesus goes to the house anyway, even though the child had already passed. And when he gets there, Jesus takes her by the hand. Uh, I want to look at the passage real quick. Um, It's always interesting, you know, when you're reading, especially the Gospels, uh, and it preserves the original language, that's a very fascinating literary thing. So, So the New Testament's written in Greek, Jesus spoke Aramaic, okay? And so what Mark has done here is he has preserved the Aramaic saying of, uh, little girl, I say to you, get up. Talitha kum. Why would, he, why would he leave that in Aramaic? All, everything that Jesus said was in Aramaic. Why does he take this particular line and say, let's write that in Aramaic and then explain it in Greek? And I, I don't know that I have like a, perfectly, a perfect picture of why Mark has chosen to do that. But I can bet you that Talitha Kum, little girl, by the way, little girl, uh, what's it say? Little girl, I say to you, get up. A better translation, I think, would be something like, honey, it's time to get up. The way that a father would reach out his hand and pull his daughter up out of bed in the morning. And so I think that there's something powerful about that phrase for Jesus' disciples that were there, that heard it with their own ears when Jesus said, Talitha Kum. Honey, it's time to get up. But they thought, let's just, let's just write it in there exactly the way that we heard it. There's a lesson here about God's timing. Jesus pulled that little girl up from death to life. So often, God's timing seems wrong by our measure. Why didn't you come sooner? You're missing the opportunity. Every Christian, if you haven't already, your prayers are going to have to butt up against the delay of God. But here in this passage, we see Jesus, the power of Jesus illustrated. That he is faithful, but hardly ever in the timetable that we would prefer. It felt too late for Jairus, but Jesus pulled his daughter up out of death itself. And a Lord that can pull us up out of death itself can be trusted in our timing. Even death can't stop his love and his mercy and his power and his salvation and his justice. Those things will be ours in one way or another. So we can bring both our fear and our faith and believe that he hears our prayers and trust him even in his delays. Amen.